Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports, episode number 20, here on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I am your host, Noah Schwartz. This is my 20th episode here on the podcast. Uh, Very happy that I've reached that mark. Uh, It means a lot to me that you guys have all been listening. It's been a great time for me to create all these episodes, and I just hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to them just as much as I have been making them. So we got a lot to get to today. I want to start with football, we'll go to baseball, and then we're going to talk a little bit about tennis from the Australian Open and the big match last night between Serena and Naomi Osaka, and then wrap up with some college basketball. So let's begin with the big story of the day. There's nowhere else to start today except with Carson Wentz. So if you didn't see the trade, Carson Wentz is now a member of the Indianapolis Colts. He was traded this morning, uh, and the trade was to Indianapolis for Carson in exchange for a third-round pick this season, and then what is now a second-round pick for next season, but could easily turn into a first-round pick uh, depending on the snaps that Carson takes if he gets to a certain percentage of the snaps. I believe it's 75%. Uh, that that pick would convert to a number one pick next year. So potential to be a first-round pick for Indianapolis, and they automatically get the third-round pick uh, this year. So this is a great trade. Uh, I'm going to start with that. It's a great trade for the Colts. Uh, They are the type of team that was looking to really upgrade a quarterback. They're the type of team that has uh, plenty of room to grow, and they seemed like a quarterback away this year. Now they have their guy. And with Carson Wentz, he was paired with Frank Reich, the head coach in Indianapolis, uh, with the Eagles for a couple years. He was the offensive coordinator, and that was when Carson Wentz was playing his best football ever. Now, the Colts this year, they were 11-5. They went to the playoffs, but with Phillip Rivers at his advanced age, he's a Hall of Famer, but at his advanced age, it just didn't seem like they had quite enough. He wasn't the electric uh, type of player that they needed under center. Now with Carson, they have that guy. And if you look at that roster, there's talent everywhere. Now, I love their their team, not only because of the defense, which was a top three defense this year, but the offensive line, excellent. I mean, if you look at who they have, Quentin Nelson's the best offensive lineman probably in the NFL, and they are loaded across that line. They've got a running game. They've got three or four running backs that that can contribute to, to any NFL team, and Jonathan Taylor, who they picked last year, looks like one of the best young players, best young running backs in the NFL. Uh, the defense is great. They have they have weapons. They just drafted Michael Pittman a year ago, and they have some other guys who uh, might be able to step up at some point, and they have money to spend in free agency, and they have some draft picks. Chris Ballard has been an excellent GM, so they are they're really good everywhere. They've got the offensive line right. They've got the running game. Uh, the defense under Matt Eberflus has been, has been really special. So I love the Colts with their roster, and it's a weak division, so they're going to have a great chance to be among the inner circle teams trying to compete for a Super Bowl. I look at the AFC right now, and, and I see Buffalo, I see Kansas City, I see the Baltimore Ravens, and the Colts are right in that that core group. They have a chance to be really, really special. Uh, they won 11 games a year ago in the regular season. I think Carson could take them up to 13 wins. I mean, he, he's, he has the chance to be that good. And I think one of the reasons why he ultimately is no longer a member of the Eagles today is because this was a, a lot of this issue that he had with with Philadelphia was on the organization itself. Now Carson did have his struggles at times. He wasn't perfect. 
Uh, he, he had plenty of issues. He threw interceptions. He was hurt quite a bit. But I think a lot of this relationship could have been salvaged had the Eagles just handled their situation better. And when you have a young quarterback like Carson Wentz, and he's, he's a small-town kid. He comes from North Dakota State. And he plays in a big East Coast market like Philadelphia where there's a lot of pressure and the fans are intense. You've got to be able to put your arms around your young quarterback and support him and make him feel like he's loved through the ups and through the downs. And they never were able to do that for Carson Wentz. So let's look a little bit through the timeline. I'll just go through it quickly, but it's been well documented about the last four or five years with the Eagles and Carson. So he comes out, number two pick, rookie year, okay, not great. He has some interception issues, but looks like the real deal. Year two, he breaks out. He's the MVP favorite through 13 or 14 weeks, and then he gets hurt. And then Nick Foles comes in, and you know the rest of the story. They win the Super Bowl. They beat Brady. And Foles becomes a Philadelphia icon. And after that, the Eagles really had to make a decision. They had to decide whether they were just going to leave Foles in the background and re-enter re-enter, uh, Wentz, I should say, into the fold, make him the franchise guy again, make him feel the love. And they never did. Because then what happened was Wentz was up and down. He got hurt again. Then Foles came back into the lineup. He takes them back to the playoffs. They were struggling. Then they win a playoff game in Chicago. So that's the second straight year in which Foles is the playoff hero. And now Wentz never feels the support. He feels like everyone's sort of leaning towards Foles. But they pick Wentz. He becomes a starter again the next year. And they struggled for a while. They had a ton of injuries. The team was not very good. They, they drafted very, very poorly. And I'll get to that more in a minute. But then he wins the last four games. And this was just a year ago, just over a year ago. They beat uh, Washington. They beat the Cowboys in that week, big week 16 game. They beat the Giants. They won their last four games, all against the division. They sneak into the playoffs at 9-7. and seven, And Carson had played some of the best football of his life in that last month, that, that December of the previous season. And then this year was a disaster. And one of the reasons why I think it was a disaster for Carson Wentz was not only the team was bad, but once again, they abandoned him. They didn't make him feel the support he needed. And how did they do that? Well, they went out and they drafted Jalen Hurts, which was just a shocker to everybody, in round number two. Made no sense when they made the move. Made no sense the entire season. They could have used a, an extra receiver. They could have used an extra offensive lineman. They're weak at both spots. They could have used help on their defense where it's, it's mostly veterans. But instead, they use another quarterback. So first, it's Foles who keeps getting in the way of Wentz really connecting with that fan base and feeling the support. And then they draft Jalen Hurts. And he's now getting in the way of, of Wentz feeling the love. And so if you, if, you, if you kind of put that into a vacuum, it's like Wentz never got the love he needed. He never felt that support. He never, he never was able to be truly ingratiated with the fan base, with the organization itself. And now he was benched at the end of the season. He's gone it's a mess in Philly. We don't even know what they're going to do with their quarterback spot now because we've heard rumors that they want to draft another quarterback in this year's first round at number six to then replace Jalen Hurts. It's a mess. So Carson Wentz is an immense talent. He's an incredible football player. He's had plenty of success previously, but he's had his struggles. The organization didn't help. They didn't draft well. I said I was going to get to that. The Andre Dillard pick was a mess. The Arcega Whiteside pick was a mess. 
the Jalen Rager pick a year ago over Justin Jefferson was awful. So they've made plenty of drafting mistakes. The only really good player they've drafted the last couple of years uh, has been um, the running back, Miles Sanders. So they haven't drafted well. Doug Peterson was really a loose cannon for, for the last couple of years of his tenure. He's now gone. They hire Nick Sirianni, who nobody knew. It's a mess in Philadelphia. They're a bad team. They're a veteran team. They don't have much talent. Most of their talent is hurt all the time. They signed the wrong free agents. So they won their Super Bowl, and they were never able to really get back because they just handled everything so terribly from that moment on. So now, like I said, Carson goes to a better situation. Frank Reich, the offensive line, uh, a stable organization, as you'll find with the Indianapolis Colts. They have a tradition of having great quarterback play. Peyton to Andrew Luck to then another Hall of Famer in Phillip Rivers this past season. They're as good of an organization as you will find. It's not the wor- it's not the best division. Tennessee, they just won it. They're a bad defense. I don't think they're a, a necessarily sensational team. They have their issues. There are plenty of reasons for why not only the Colts are going to be one of the top teams in the conference and in the league possibly, but Carson Wentz could find himself in the MVP race. He could find himself as one of the better quarterbacks in the league if he just continues to progress the way that he was progressing uh, at earlier points in his career when he was under Frank Reich and everything was clicking in Philadelphia. So I'm happy for Carson. I'm a big fan of his, always have been. Uh, I think he's great. I think there is no reason why a guy with that talent shouldn't be dominating. And when he goes to Indianapolis, uh, I think he's going to have the, the best season of his career. I think they're gonna, he's going to be on one of the best teams he's ever played for with the most stable franchise he's ever played for. Uh, there's there's no messing around here with the Indianapolis Colts. They know what they're doing. It's a small market. Uh, it's all about winning there. The culture's right. He's going to be fine. He's going to do really, really well, I think. And it's just a great trade for the Indianapolis Colts. They didn't give up a ton to get Carson Wentz. I think they, they could have uh, given up more had they given up a deal sort of like with the Matt Stafford trade. They didn't. They were only able to give up maybe one first-round pick if it even gets to that point. This works out great for the Colts. Carson Wentz is going to be in a great situation, and the Eagles will just continue as this strange mess in a bad division uh, within the NFC East. I want to talk about another quarterback uh, that has had some issues recently, and that's Russell Wilson. He's been in the news quite a bit. Now, if you know Russell Wilson, and he's one of the 15 greatest quarterbacks to ever play in this league, he doesn't like to speak uh, in a very controversial way to the media. Never has. I haven't seen it. And it's, it's a new thing that he's going out there to the Dan Patrick show or, you know, wherever, wherever media outlet he's going to, to speak on issues within the Seahawks. It's not something we typically see. He's quiet. He's low-key. He's an amazing leader. He'll never call out teammates. He has been the model citizen for the last decade uh, with the Seahawks. But after this season, things started to change, and, and we saw them flame out in the playoffs. They had a terrible second half of the year with the offense sputtering. And with, with Wilson, I think for the first time he realized at the end of this year, like, I might need to get out of this situation sooner rather than later if things don't improve drastically. So again, we'll see exactly uh, what happens with Russ. But I think for the first time, he felt the need to speak up and use the leverage and use the power that he should have within the organization as the, the best player, the franchise quarterback. Uh, to speak out and and maybe gain even more power, gain more leverage. So he went on a couple different outlets this week, or last week, I should say, and he spoke about that he was upset that he was getting hit too much. He spoke about the fact that the team wasn't running smoothly, that the offense had sputtered, 
And, and this was something that we'd heard from DK Metcalf. He'd spoke on a podcast a couple weeks ago, and we heard sort of similar, uh, some similar sentiment. But it's really the first time that Russell Wilson has ever said anything that's even remotely controversial. So I was pretty surprised by it. I think most people were. But it's something he should do. And I think it's honestly kind of embarrassing that the Seahawks didn't do more for him the last five, six years. This guy's a Super Bowl winner. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks I've ever seen that most I think most people have ever seen. Uh, the ability that he has to escape the pocket, to, to run, to throw the ball deep. I mean, he's incredible. We all know it. And the fact that he hasn't been involved before in any personnel decisions is a joke. The fact that he hasn't been more involved with the Seahawks in drafting is ridiculous. The fact that he didn't have much of a say with the offensive coordinator hire when they just brought in Shane Waldron, it's absurd to me. What are the Seahawks doing? Could they be could they be any worse to their franchise guy? I mean, it's insane. And sports is heading into a direction now where the star players should have more power. We see it in basketball. We're starting to see it in the NFL. Players are taking advantage of whatever leverage they have and using that to advance their careers and get in situations where they have a chance to win championships. And with the Seahawks, it's not good enough. They don't draft well. It's the same thing with the Eagles. I just mentioned it. They don't draft well. They haven't drafted well in, in years. We, we could see some of their recent picks like Rashad Penny and LJ Collier and Jordan Brooks. I mean, it's a disaster. They don't do well in free agency. They don't really get it very active in there either. And when they do, it doesn't usually work out too well. And Pete Carroll, I mean, as much as I love Pete Carroll, he's a great coach and one of the better coaches of the last 20 years in the NFL, his, his team has sort of run stale. They aren't the same team that they were back in 2013 and 14 when they got to the Super Bowl. That team was loaded. The defense was excellent. And that was all Pete's doing. He was able to spearhead the Legion of Boom. He was able to turn Bobby Wagner into a superstar. But that's, that's not happening now. They're not finding that same level of success with the guys they bring in. They're not finding those late-round steals that they once were. And so now it's become a team where if Russell Wilson doesn't throw for 400 yards a week, they have no chance of winning. I mean, they had plenty of games where they gave up close to 40 points. And that was in the first half of the season. And then the second half of the season, something happened with their offense, and they weren't scoring to the same extent that they were earlier in the season. So something's wrong with the Seahawks. I, I believe they're a team at a crossroads. I said that from the moment they lost the Rams game in the playoffs. Something's going to happen. I feel like Russell Wilson, his anger, his frustrations, it's all coming to a head. And he may pull an Aaron Rodgers at some point and start to use that leverage to get out. He may do the same thing that Deshaun Watson is sort of doing right now with the Texans, trying to force his way out. And good for Russ. You know, he doesn't have to sit, sit quiet for his whole career and say nothing when the team isn't doing what they need to do for him. But when you mess up in the draft every year and you don't do well in free agency and you don't find late round steals and the coaching staff isn't as creative as it once was and they're not as innovative and the culture is not the same, your one Hall of Fame player has the right to speak out. And they don't have a first round pick this year, so it's not like they can bring in some young stud to make it any better. They use that on Jamal Adams, two first round picks on Jamal Adams, who they now have to pay at a non-premium uh, position. So it's, it's a mess with the Seahawks. They play in a unbelievably difficult division with San Francisco, who's gonna be back. I know they're gonna be back, no matter who the quarterback is. They'll be really good next season. You have Arizona, who's improving, and then the Rams just got Matt Stafford. So the Seahawks have to be looking at their situation and going, John Schneider hasn't done a good enough job. Pete Carroll hasn't done a good enough job. We play in a really difficult division with great coaches and excellent quarterback play. How are we going to be able to elevate ourselves back into the elite group, get back to the playoffs, get back to the NFC title game, get back to the Super Bowl? 
They haven't been there in like seven years. Is that changing anytime soon? I don't think so. We'll see what happens, but it's a bad situation in Philadelphia with, with now Jalen Hurts as the quarterback, and it is becoming a worse situation as we go on with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. I think he'll be out of Seattle within a couple of years. Last topic before I hit the first break of the day. Uh, this was big baseball news yesterday. Fernando Tatis Jr., 13-year contract, $340 million. Unbelievable. For a 21 or 22-year-old kid as a shortstop to get this type of money pre-arbitration, we've really never seen something like this before. It's one of the biggest contracts in Major League history, and he will be a member of the Padres until I am, I want to say, 34 years old, and I'm 19 now, so it's pretty unbelievable. Or 33 years old, maybe. I'm 19 now. So he's going to be there, and I might be married with kids already. It's pretty insane. But this kid, as a 21 or 22-year-old, in the last two seasons, has flashed about as much potential as you could possibly flash. He's done it all. He's got the glove. He's got the bat. He's exciting. He's the guy. He's a guy that could be the face of your franchise. Uh, he steals bases. I mean, he is just everything you would want in a frontline player. He was a rookie of the year contender the first season pre-injury, and then last year he was fourth in MVP and won a Silver Slugger. 39 home runs in the last two seasons. He's only played in 143 career games. So you're looking at a kid that has a chance to be one in a million as a shortstop. And I think he's going to be one of the best players in the big leagues for a long time. Now, more than just Tatis, I think there's, there's more to the story than just the money he's getting. It's an unbelievable amount of money. Congrats to Fernando. He deserves it. Uh, good for him. There's more to this story than just the money. It's the fact that they're paying this kid at such a young age with this type of contract. We've never seen it before. I'm not sure we'll see it anytime soon. This is awesome. We should encourage more teams in Major League Baseball to do this. When you find a player of this caliber, you want to keep him around. And earth to all the small market teams out there that have young studs coming up in the next couple of years. Wander Franco comes to mind uh, for me with the Rays. I know they don't want to pay him. I know they're not going to pay him. We should be encouraging teams to do this. When you get a player of this caliber, just put it off already. Don't send him to arbitration. Don't put him through the ringer for six years before he gets real money. Let him have his chance now. Elevate him. Put your arms around him. Surround him with talent. Pay for premium stars. This is what the Padres have done. They paid Machado $300 million. They paid for Eric Hosmer. You can like the deal or hate the deal. They still paid for him. They have Will Myers on a big contract. They just traded for Blake Snell. They have Hugh Darvish now. This team is loaded. They've spent over $800 million on their infield. And I get it. There's some teams out there that just don't have the funds. I know everybody's crying poor across Major League Baseball now. But we should be encouraging them. This should be a good thing for baseball. We should want to pay our players. That's what, that's what happens in the NBA. When guys become stars after two or three years, they get paid. That's how it works. You become extension eligible after your third season, and guys like Luka Doncic are about to make a max contract, max contract type of money at the end of this season. Trey Young, the same deal. Guys who are in their third year going into their fourth year. Tatis is going into his third year. It makes perfect sense to do this now. Don't wait. Do what the Braves did a couple years ago and pay Ronald Acuna. Do what the Nationals might do relatively soon and pay a guy like Juan Soto $400 million if that's what it takes. You don't want to get rid of your stars. Those are the guys you want to build around. Those are the guys you're going to win championships with. 
So pay up when it when 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 it's due and, and and when the guy is worthy of it. Really happy for the Padres. Really happy for Tatis. They are going to be elite. And they just spent more money earlier this morning. I saw they signed Keon Kella, who could actually be a, a nice bullpen piece for them uh, in the back end. I think they spent like two million on him. It's not a significant signing, but somebody who could definitely help them in the back end. So good for the Padres. They're going to compete with the Dodgers uh, in the NL West this year. And it is just great to see teams actually go for it in baseball. So many teams are selling off pieces and trading away guys and basically just purposely trying to lose. I love the fact that the Padres have truly gone for it. And in a watered-down season where a lot of teams have essentially quit, the Padres are going to be really good. They're going to be a contender. And they've spent the money that shows that they are truly all-in on winning a championship. And in the next few years, maybe even multiple championships. All right, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back with another... A uh, couple more segments. I'm going to, on the Instagram live here that I'm doing, I will end that and then start another video up in a couple minutes. Uh, thanks for watching, and I'll be right back. Belly Up Sports has recently partnered with Manscaped because proper grooming requires precision engineered tools. Not only do men's sensitive areas require it, but hygiene demands it. Get all the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Head over right now to bellyupsports.com and at the top of the page, click the Manscaped image and shop. Make sure you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY to save 20% off your order. That's the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY to save 20% off your order. Hey all, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports, episode number 20 here on Belly Up. A couple more topics for today. We're going to get to some tennis and then on to college basketball. Just two quick topics on those. Uh, let's start with tennis. Serena and Osaka last night was awesome. This was the first Australian Open match. I think I watched for the whole, the, the entirety of it in the tournament. Uh, I'm a big tennis fan. I've actually been playing tennis at a pretty high level since I was pretty, pretty little. I think I started when I was five or six and I play weekly to this day. So I'm a big tennis fan. I don't always watch it, but I do follow it relatively closely. And two of my favorite players... Uh, matched up last night as Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka faced off in the semifinals. It was an excellent match. Naomi Osaka kicked Serena's butt, for better or worse. Um, And it was truly, to me, sort of like a passing of the guard moment. Now, Serena, to me, is the GOAT of all women's athletes. She might be the GOAT of all athletes outside of LeBron James. She is unbelievable. 23... Uh, major major wins, one short of Margaret Court. I hope she gets there. I still have faith that she can. But after having her child, being 39 years old like she is, 16 years older than Naomi Osaka, it's just it's hard to see her winning multiple majors again and, and actually passing Margaret and getting to 25. I hope she does it again. She's my favorite women's tennis player ever. I think she's would say that for most people, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. As for the match, I mean, it was tough to watch Serena sort of fall apart. She won the first two games of the first set. And then after that, she just started making unforced errors. And she lost the first set, went into the second set, fell behind yet again, lost the second set. I think it was 6-4. Second set, I think it was 6-3, the first set. Uh, It was truly an ass-kicking by Naomi Osaka, and she dominated in every way. Her serve was fantastic. She absolutely smashed the ball. Uh, she was hitting winner after winner. She was moving really well. She was getting to a lot of the shots down the line, cross court, that Serena was giving to her. And like I said, Serena just missed a lot of easy shots. Her forehand seemed off. Her timing seemed off. 
Uh, she wasn't she wasn't knocking knocking the ball in the places where she needed to down the line and and in the corners. She just she seemed off. And for whatever reason, Osaka was able to just dominate the match and and ultimately win it. Uh, but like I said, this was sort of like a changing in the guard moment to me. Serena, she didn't say her farewell to the Australian Open last night in the press in the post game, but it sort of seemed like she was implying that she might be done. I hope she's not. Like I said, I hope she continues on. But uh, Naomi Osaka is the best women's tennis player in the world. I don't care that she's ranked number three. Ashley Barty can be ranked number one all she wants. It's Naomi Osaka. She's 23 years old. She's already won multiple majors. She's so marketable. She is such an exciting young tennis player to watch on television. She's great on TV. Uh, she's in commercials. She's really active on social media. This is the perfect person to take the throne from Serena and be the face of women's tennis for the next 15 years. Perfect person for it. There, there's nobody I'd rather want. Uh, and, and not only is she a person of color, so obviously you can sort of pass the torch from one minority to another minority. It's great there. Uh, she brings a little bit of the Asian presence with uh, her being Japanese. Uh, I think that's really cool too. This is the perfect person to take the throne from Serena. It's the, just the perfect person. You had Venus and you had Serena and now you have Naomi. There's nobody better. Uh, and she is the best player in the world. She's ultimately going to win this tournament. I don't care who she ends up playing in the finals, whether it's Jennifer Brady, uh, whoever. It doesn't matter. She's, she's going to win. And it'll be another major for, for Naomi. Uh, but this was really, and this is cool, it was really the the highlight of sports last night on television. And there was an NBA doubleheader on ESPN, and the majority of people that I know were watching the tennis match. And you don't typically see that, because you know, especially because the match was at 10 o'clock Eastern time, uh, so it's late, people aren't always up. But there was a lot of people tuned in to watch these two play last night. And it was a quick match. It was only two sets. Osaka had control from mostly the beginning all the way to the finish line. Um, but... This was the highlight. People were watching it. People were tuned in. People were tweeting about it, uh, sending their reactions on Twitter. I thought it was very, very cool. You don't always see something like that, especially in a match that's not the finals. But this was the story of sports last night, and I think that it was ultimately uh, the moment where— and this is, I think, the third straight win for Naomi beating Serena. This is the moment where Serena can officially say, this is the best player in the world. She's better than me. She might even— ultimately challenge me for the GOAT discussion. I'm not going to get there yet. It's She has probably 20 more majors to win. But if there's anyone that could do it, it's Naomi Osaka because she's an incredible talent and a great face for women's tennis. And then finally today, uh, Jalen Johnson and Duke. I thought this is a cool story. He opted out of the season for, Duke, for the Duke Blue Devils the rest of the season, the final three or so weeks of the college basketball regular season. Now, he got a lot of criticism for doing this, in, in the Twitterverse and, and on social media the last couple days. Now, Jalen Johnson looks like he's going to be an NBA lottery pick. He's an excellent talent. I mean, he, he's going to be a really nice NBA player. He'll probably be picked in the top 10. Six foot nine. He's athletic. He can shoot the ball. Versatile. He can defend multiple positions. He looks like a true NBA player. I mean, he, he really fits the mold. But Duke was struggling. Duke is struggling. They're, I think, nine and eight on the season. Uh, this is one of the first NCAA tournaments that they'll miss in a long, long time. I can't remember another year that they missed it. And they've had their fair share of issues, and, and Jalen Johnson's had injuries, and he's had a little bit of off-the-court stuff. And so I heard a lot of criticism, like, he's quitting. He's opting out. I mean, he's not opting out. He's quitting. He's, he's basically just saying goodbye to his teammates and, and just throwing them under the bus. I don't take it like that at all. I think this is a great move by Jalen Johnson. There's no other reason to continue playing for a bad college basketball team. 
they're not paying you. Uh, you're not getting properly compensated at all for what you're doing. Uh, it's essentially just playing for free and getting some exposure nationally, and then you'll go to the NBA. I think it's better ultimately to go train yourself, go find an NBA trainer, move out to California, wherever you want to go, find a bunch of pros that are working out on the side, and just get your body right, get your mind right, and be ready to play in the NBA come October and and pre-draft you know, for the combine and whatnot. This is not quitting. This is doing what's best for you. And I mentioned it before with Russell Wilson. Sports is at a different place than it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. Athletes are doing what's best for them. They're not kowtowing to any sort of college, to any sort of professional team. They have full autonomy over their own careers. And Jalen Johnson now has the ability to get himself ready for the draft, for the professional level, and he's going to get paid for that millions and millions of dollars to go to the NBA. He wasn't getting compensated at Duke. And this is the best move for him. What if he got hurt in the next three weeks in one of their final regular season games and he misses the whole pre-draft process and goes undrafted and his whole career is shot? What if something happened off the court again at Duke where he got caught in a COVID violation or something like that uh, occurred and his draft stock significantly dropped? Go away from Duke. You don't have to. You don't have to be with Coach K. You don't have to be at Cameron Indoor Stadium. You don't need any of that. And I love college basketball. It's a great sport. But the way that we use athletes in college to play for free and to do what we say and to do exactly as they're told as collegiate kids to go study and do classes and go to practice and lift weights and eat right and all the things that we ask college athletes to do, especially at the major Division I level, it's insane. There's no reason for it. It's pointless for many of these guys who just want to play professionally and move off of college. They don't need it. And there's so many different pathways now to the NBA, like the G League elite team, like going internationally, like uh, preparing yourself, like what Darius Basley did getting an internship with New Balance and learning the off the floor uh, sort of stuff when it comes to professional basketball. Those are all ways that you can prepare yourself to go to the pros, get drafted, get some exposure, and be ready for when your name is called by an NBA coach on an NBA, in an NBA floor. Jalen Johnson doesn't need Duke. Duke needs Jalen Johnson. And he's doing what's best for him. He's doing his best for his career, and it's great. No reason to be ashamed. He's not quitting. He's not throwing any teammates under the bus. He's simply doing what's best for him in his own career. And it's in the best interest of him and his future to move on and go to the NBA as soon as possible. Get out of Duke. Get out of that bad situation. You're not going to the NCAA tournament anyway. You're not winning a national title this year. Move on. Go find something better for yourself. All right, so that's going to do it for section uh, for the second part of the episode for today. I will be right back, do another quick commercial, and then we'll talk about Noah's number one performer of the week. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company, proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to serve only the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve for your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. 
Welcome back, Schwartz on Sports, episode number 20. I've hit the 20 mark, so happy about that. Uh, ready to finish off the episode with Noah's number one performer of the week this week. And I haven't talked about anything NBA-related in today's episode, so I figured I would hit that uh, on the final segment. And my winner of the week, my number one performer, is Damian Lillard. This was an easy choice. What Damian Lillard has been doing recently has been off the charts unbelievable. Now, this is a team in in the Portland Trailblazers that is currently missing its stud shooting guard, CJ McCollum. I was going to call him an all-star, but he shockingly never made an all-star team. But a guy who's averaging 27 points a game in the 13 games he's played. And also, they're missing Yusuf Nurkic, their excellent starting center. So, Dame is missing his second best player with CJ McCollum, his third best player in Nurkic, and he's doing... Uh, he's, he's doing some incredible things alongside guys like Gary Trent and 37-year-old Carmelo Anthony and Enos Cantor and Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington. This is not a great team right now. Now, if they had McCollum and Nurkic, then it's a different story. But they're doing they're, they're, they're winning some games right now without two of their elite players, and that, that team does not have that much talent around Damian Lillard right now. However, they've won six straight games. They're 18 and 10, which is shocking that they're they're that above 500 right now. They've won six straight. Uh, they're in the four spot in the Western Conference. They're only a couple games out of the three spot where the Clippers are right now. And what Damian Lillard has been doing is just unbelievable. He went for 43 and 16 assists a couple of nights ago. He hit the huge shot against the uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, a couple nights prior to that. He had a big shot late in the game. <clears throat> against uh, the New Orleans Pelicans last night uh, where he drove in and got the and one on Lonzo Ball. What he is doing is unbelievable. And Damian Lillard has never won an MVP. He has never truly been considered one of the top five players in the world. But he is having maybe his best season ever, and he is leading a team that does not really have enough talent to be in the four spot to the number four seed. Now, Dame this year is averaging 29.8 points per game, so he's basically at 30 points a game. And he's he's passing, and he's doing all these things. Uh, eight assists and four rebounds. He's making a ton of threes at like a 38% clip. He's doing it all. He's playing at such an incredibly high level for the Blazers right now. And last night, I made the decision that in my MVP rankings, I'm going to move Dame up from fourth up to third. So I had LeBron, Embiid, and then number three was Nikola Jokic. I have now uh, vaulted Dame into that top three. He's passed Nikola Jokic, and he has the the ability, if he keeps winning games like this and playing at this level, to potentially get into the top two rather soon. But what he, the type of season he is having, un, unbelievable. It, it is truly remarkable what he is doing uh, for, for a Blazer team that shouldn't be 18-10 and 10 right now because there are a lot of teams across the league that have underachieved. They're overachieving about as much as anyone in the entire sport. That's going to do it for me here on Schwartz on Sports, episode number 20. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Schwartz on Sport. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the show. And we will be back with more content next week. Uh, We'll definitely get some more interviews on the show coming up soon, and we'll do some more fun segments. So be sure to tune in then. But but for now, uh, enjoy the Uh, Lakers-Nets game that's coming up later today on Thursday night, and enjoy your weekend.